Welcome to The Pharmacists Are In, a podcast made for pharmacists by pharmacists, hosted by John Papasturjo. John is a frontline community pharmacist owner, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at both the University of Toronto and University of Waterloo, and an internationally recognized speaker, author, and researcher. Today's guest is Philippa Costa. Philippa has practiced simultaneously as a community pharmacist and researcher. Three years ago, she transitioned exclusively to academia. She is an advisor to the Pharmaceutical Society in Portugal and recently authored and co-edited a textbook about the implementation of pharmaceutical care. Join John and Philippa as they talk about the development of pharmacist advanced scope of practice in Portugal and discuss strategies to involve community pharmacists in new roles within their practice. Listen in as they highlight Canadian and Portuguese pharmacist efforts in research and the Know Your Pulse campaign for atrial fibrillation detection. Pull up a seat and let's get started. And we're back for another segment of The Pharmacists Are In. Uh, today, we're, we're actually in Belfast for the 47th uh, European Society of Clinical Pharmacy Conference. It's always great to get to these international conferences. Today, I'm here with uh, my friend and colleague from Portugal, Filipe Costa. Filipe, great to have you here. Great to be here, John. Thank you for inviting me to come. Uh, it's always, I, you know, these conferences are always fun. You get to meet, uh, you know, people from all over the world. You get a sense for really what's happening across the world. A lot of similarities I find uh, with Canada, but also a lot of differences. And it's uh, for me, it's a, a great learning experience. I had a chance to speak at the conference and uh, uh, got a lot of good feedback on that. But today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the work uh, we're doing at IPACT and that you're doing uh, in Portugal specifically. But I thought maybe we'd start. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, your practice, uh, kind of what you, what you do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've... Um I've started as a community pharmacist when I graduated, and I've been working in community pharmacy for most of my life, I would say, um, until three years ago. I've always combined this with uh, research and teaching in academia, uh, and currently I'm only doing research and academic work, but I also work as an advisory for the Pharmaceutical Society uh, in Portugal. That's great. And I I also noticed that we were talking about it. You have a new textbook coming out as well. Yes, I'm very excited about this. Uh, It's been edited with Fopo van Mill and uh, Aldo Alvarez from uh, Peru. Um, And uh, it's about the implementation of pharmaceutical care, the clinical pharmacist guide. And uh, we're very excited about the book because it has contributions from various experts all over the world. Uh, that's great. And I know, I mean, we see this wave of pharmaceutical care, pharmacy practice kind of evolving uh, globally. How do, you know, how do uh, community pharmacists fit within this in Portugal specifically? Is their scope of practice relatively advanced or are they starting to move forward right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, the scope of practice in Portugal has always been quite advanced in European terms. Um, of course, there are countries like some sta- some provinces in Canada where you have some rights we don't have. For example, the prescribing rights, we don't have them. Um, but in general, in European terms, I think we're very advanced. We've had um, health promotion campaigns for long. Um, we uh, also have pharmaceutical care programs in various disease areas. Um, now, we've had, since 2007, 
the rights to human, uh, immunize patients. Um, and now this year, in 2018, we have uh, a new legislation that just came up with the new rules that um, we have, and some of them include uh, specific adherence programs for patients. And also now we can do HIV testing and hepatitis testing in the pharmacy, which is quite recent. Um, We also have a pilot running where we're testing the distribution of HIV medicines in community pharmacies. That's great. I mean... um you know, it seems like the scope is actually pretty advanced when I compare it to what's going on in, in some other uh, countries. Uh, I, you know, when I think of the work you do and you're very involved in practice research, uh, you know, becoming also from an academic uh, academic background, is it hard uh, to get the community pharmacist to participate in that? Because for me, I think personally, I think it's an important part of uh, moving the profession forward. If we've got to get more community uh, pharmacists involved in practice research, helping to quantify kind of the impact that we're having. I know, I think it was last uh, spring that you guys had a kind of a practice research summit out in uh, Portugal as well. So um, I don't know, what's your take on that? Because I find it's it's slow moving even in Canada to get uh, pharmacists to participate in that type of work. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, like in all professions, we have people who are let's say, the, the outgoing, sure. the ones that start fa- uh, faster, and then we have some that just get delayed. But um, I think the work that um, FIP has been developing um, in terms of the competency frameworks has been quite important. And in Portugal, for example, we've been using those frameworks and adapted them to, to our reality. And we have them for each area of practice. And within community pharmacy, uh, there's one specific role which is related to the pharmacist's involvement in research. So many pharmacists are not really taking so much importance to this, but we have very good and active colleagues who are really trying to develop their own research centers, but not isolated. They're trying to create the links with academia so that then they can be partners and not just places where people go and collect information because that's not exactly the way to do it in my view at least no you're right on with that because i think that's kind of one of the things we struggle with uh, as well uh, being involved in both kind of community pharmacy and research i find if you're just using the community pharmacy as a place to collect data you never engage the pharmacist there so mm-hmm. making them more actively uh uh, involved more active participants. We we've kind of dabbled the idea around uh, the University of Toronto and Waterloo of setting up like a pharmacy practice research network or something where you know community pharmacists that are interested uh, they could kind of join this network. But they also have the university resources available yeah. to them. You know, it's we've never really got it off the ground. We have kind of a, f- a smaller version of it running right now, and uh, it's been pretty successful. But you know, we've almost created our own network internationally now through some of the other work that we've done, which is, you know, we, I don't think that's ever been done in pharmacy before. But um, also I think there's one thing that um, has been having some impact is the fact that in Portugal we've had um, continuous professional development uh, for, I don't know, even over 13 years at least. Um, so we need to get this ex 
a number of credits to be able to renew our license to practice. <laughs> and traditionally, all the things that gave us credits were like coming to conferences sure. and attending courses, the traditional format. Yeah. But now you can also uh, get credits for participating in research. And this can be um, calculated depending on the time you invest in recruiting patients, in following them up, and monitoring them in all the senses. So this ah. is actually, I think it's going to be... That's a really good idea. I've never heard of that. I mean, um, yeah, I could see that uh, you know being very applicable in other settings as well, in other countries. I mean... Uh, if you know, I think it's a good way to engage patient, uh, engage pharmacists for sure. Uh, uh, maybe we should follow up with you on that to see how that works because I think that's something that uh, maybe we could use as a model in other other countries uh, also. But you know, uh, we actually met on a, a committee uh, called IPAC, the working group. I know we've had other speakers on the on the show before from IPAC, but I think. That's kind of a unique group as well, almost a network that started in the area of anticoagulation. But now uh, it's given us the opportunity to meet pharmacists uh, from all over the world interested in research anticoagulation. But we've almost been able to expand that now and use the network for other things also. And I know you're really driving a lot of the kind of the practical research out of there. We both sit on the board uh, together. And one of the uh, the big initiatives that was kind of your baby was the Know Your Pulse uh, campaign uh, that started a few years back and it's growing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Sure. Um, well, I've always been very interested in research that uh, feeds into practice. And because in Portugal we have such a long history of uh, promoting um, public health campaigns and initiatives and they have always led to advances in pharmacy practice, uh, when I heard about this project, I was immediately interested in it. Um, so this basically comes from the uh, from a patient organization, the actual uh, fibrillation association and the Arrhythmia Alliance, um, and they've been developing these awareness campaigns for decades now. Uh, they're very successful, and their main goal is just to raise awareness of uh, arrhythmias and of atrial fibrillation in general. Um, all these campaigns in, have been involving, um, well, patient organizations and uh, physicians, mostly cardiologists. But to my knowledge, they weren't, the pharmacists weren't really um, involved in it. So we proposed, we IPACT proposed this association that we would create a partnership with them and our input would be to be starting these uh, initiatives periodically. They do it twice a year. And we would do them in pharmacy-related uh, venues. So we can have them in community pharmacies, in hospital pharmacies, in nursing homes, in daycare centers. So depending on the countries, wherever the, the pharmacist is active at. Um, so we started this initiative in 2016, and um, but we added a second goal because um, one of the ways the awareness works is by using the traditional way of exposing information. So you just tell the person what atrial fibrillation is about. 
and and that's good but it's not enough yeah. so what they've created is um demonstration parts so you take the pulse of the patient manually which is something quite easy to do but the pharmacist does this mostly to show the patient how he can do it in his own home but then it may happen that while the pharmacist is doing this he detects some irregularities so we thought well we're not going to just waste these people that are identified um so then each patient that's identified and considered as a suspect because obviously the pharmacist has a checklist uh where he will look at symptoms and rhythm and rate and um previous uh, medical history he will uh, ask for all of that and if he identifies any irregularity he then refers the patient to the physician so that he can then be further examined um in some countries uh there's still the possibility of having um a technology to confirm the pulse detection uh this makes pharmacists more comfortable to refer patients obviously because they feel they have uh like a proof yes. and then it's easier to tell the physician please do a 12 lead ecg That's to right. confirm this because i've detected this um so we started initially by uh involving just a few countries in 2006 we had five countries involved we had uh well Canada uh Portugal UK um Spain and New Zealand these were the first five uh but we were, we were able to recruit above 1700 patients so obviously the the partnership was very successful mm-hmm. and since then we've been contacted to be able to contribute further to this uh event um we had a detection rate of uh, 1.4% which is in line with published results right in line so yeah that was the first thing i noticed we were pretty much right in line with what you see in the literature right mhm absolutely um so then we got um enthusiastic about it and thought let's do an upgrade so in the following year in 2007 uh we extended to 10 countries we had over 120 sites um and we had over 3000 individuals involved um the detection rate was slightly higher it nearly reached 2% but um it must be stated that it this will d- uh, depends heavily on the confirmation from the physicians right. and what we've seen and this is the part where we want to improve and need to create stronger partnerships with the medical society um is that even if we refer patients we don't always get a feedback so sometimes we believe that patients may be diagnosed but we just don't hear from them sure. directly um so in com- some countries this works better than in others there are straighter bonds uh for example in canada works quite well in new zealand also in spain it's more difficult and in portugal it's more difficult but still um because the system is slower Yeah. So patients just need more time to go to the physician. Yeah. But we still get feedback it's just that it doesn't go as easily. Um 
So one of the strategies we now have been developing to improve this is that we're trying to get other healthcare professionals on board the VIPACT. Mm. And for example, with the results of these two events, um, we have uh, submitted a paper where we have as co-authors, um, well, the leader of this um, campaign from the patient organization, Trudy Loban, but we also have um, the chair of AF Screen, which is Professor Ben Friedman, and we also have a nurse who has been very active on this um, on this area, Liz Newback, and obviously all the people who were involved in really collecting the, the data in, in their own respective countries. So I think this is going to be um, improving slowly. Of course, there is some people who are skeptical and say, oh, you're now trying to diagnose patients. No, that's not what we're doing. Sure. We're exactly doing the same that we've always been doing with diabetes, with hypertension, Absolutely. with cardiovascular risk. So it's just that it's a new area. And that's why sometimes it's more difficult to... Yeah, those, you know, individuals that are naysayers or have issues with it, I don't think they really get how accessible community pharmacists are. We're ideally suited for this type of screening because we see the patients more than anyone. They trust us. These newer technologies now make it so easy. I mean, I'm a, a data collection site for the project as well, and we use the Alive Core. So in Canada, our experience has been really using the uh, uh, you know, the point-of-care devices, the Alive Core device, really helps to draw patients into the clinics. They like getting test results. I found uh, as a method for screening, it generated quite a bit of excitement. I found, you know, if we, we had an idea that someone could potentially be positive, we refer them uh, often. The physicians were pretty receptive to it, I think. And, uh, you know, I think my advice is anyone that's able to use it, uh, able to do it using a device, it makes it quite a bit... Uh, uh, easier, but you were going to say so. This, we're we're kind of ramping up, I guess, for this year's campaign. Also, mm -hmm. yes. Um, I mean, in uh, yeah, we're preparing, so we're counting on the same ten countries that we have involved in the past. So, apart from those five I've mentioned, we've also included uh, the Czech Republic, France, uh, Hungary, uh, and Switzerland in the second year. And now this year, we're hoping to get also Brazil to jump in, which is going to be, uh, because being a huge country probably will give a very good contribution. Uh, Australia, they have had lots of experiences doing these kinds of events in the pharmacies. They were the, the pioneers in this, so hopefully they'll be able to join us this year. But also the Netherlands, um, because we also have a board member from the Netherlands, so he's uh, probably going to join us, and Qatar. Qatar has already been uh, willing to join in the former years, uh, but because this um, event runs twice a year, and one of the times it coincides with their Ramadan, okay. that makes it very difficult for them to be able to recruit people in that time of the year. Um, but now in November, uh, I think they will be able to, to also join us. So obviously there are many more countries we could reach, but we want to go one step at a time to be able to understand the difficulties that we have given the different cultures, the different pathways, the different functioning of the healthcare system, and even the scope of practice that you mentioned. Um, and you were talking about the Alive Corps before, but that's just to give you an example. In, in, in some countries, 
you don't have a life core available. Right. You may have uh, Watch BP or other brands, but in some countries, not even those other brands are available. So that make that creates an additional difficulty. Um, and in some countries, um, it's very awkward for pharmacists to be touching the patients. Sure. Uh, so these barriers exist, and we need to be able to come up with strategies uh, in an efficient way so that we overcome them. Yeah, it's truly become a global initiative when you think of the scope now and the magnitude of the project that uh, really speaks to what we're able to do as pharmacists if we can get organized. Uh, uh, we do have kind of, I guess, a common set uh, of beliefs and our ultimate goal is to improve patient care. But this is a great example how we get just, you know, mobilize uh, pharmacists from around the world uh, with one cause. So I'm really excited about that. We have listeners kind of in multiple countries now. If someone's listening, they're a pharmacist, they want to participate, uh, they want to include their pharmacy, how do they go about doing that? Um, well, they can visit our website. That's www.ipac.org. And, and there's a section on upcoming projects, which is open to anyone. Um, and then you can express your interest to, to join uh, the project. Uh, if you feel it contributes to your practice, and if you feel you can also contribute to the network, you may also uh, want to apply to become part of the network, but that's not compulsory. Okay. Um, and also in the IPACT website, if you go to a, sec a section where it's called Know Your Pulse, you'll be able to see all the materials that have been produced. So originally they were developed by this patient association I mentioned, but then the major role of IPACT has been to be able to produce additional translations. So now we have the materials in many languages. Uh, I, I think I forgot to mention Hong Kong. So yeah. we also have Chinese in there, uh, mm -hmm. the traditional Chinese and the modern Chinese. Um, and um, so all the resources are there, like posters to di display in the venues announcing the initiative. Then we have patient information leaflets. And then we have these uh, like pull-out cards, which takes the pharmacists through the four steps of uh, measuring the pulse manually. Um, and then we also have videos to show um, pharmacists how to manually check the pulse. Of course, they are advised to go on specific training if they don't have it yet, because the education is not universal. Um, but we believe this is um, some possible training for, for, for what we are setting up in this moment. It would be great if we could mobilize our Canadian listeners. I know uh, we have a lot of them. Uh, there's only been a handful of pharmacies that have participated to date. I think if uh, uh, we could get more and more Canadians uh, participating, our scope allows us to do this. Uh, we have uh, a live core being very cheap. Uh, so for a clinical program, uh, if someone's thinking about doing a point-of-care program that's simple, this is one that I recommend. The investment from a live core is like $70 or something, so it's not... It's not a huge deal. You'd be surprised at how much traffic uh, you generate to your pharmacy, and at the same time, you'd be helping a, a bigger a bigger cause. What are the exact dates? Is is there a start and stop date for uh, the Know Your uh, Pulse campaign, or is it kind of open? Uh, yes. Well, it's always announced uh, in the website, and this year it's for between the 19th and the 25th of November. That's like an entire week. Um, this is the way we have to make it um more impactful yeah. uh, all over the world. 
But we, uh, I mean, we, and when I say we, it's the pharmacist branch. We are, of course, uh, always very flexible. So for public awareness, we, we try to use these dates, but some pharmacies ask us, oh, can we do one week later and extend this because our customers are liking it so much? And we see no problem sure. in that, so yeah. we, we may extend it. We've had done that in the past. That's great. So if you're a pharmacist out there, go to the website, www.ipac.org. All the information is there. Let's try to grow this, uh, make it into a, a really uh, a popular kind of global brand, really promoting pharmacy practice. I think there'll be a lot of talk on social media as we get closer to the dates. But uh, for Canadian listeners specifically, it'd be great if we had uh, more pharmacies participate uh, uh, and really help uh, push the Canadian initiative uh, forward also. So I think on that note, it was great chatting with you today. I think uh, always looking forward to see the great work that you're doing uh, coming out of Portugal. And uh, hopefully we could uh, really have a huge impact with this year's uh, Know Your Pulse campaign. Let me just add something before we finish, mm -hmm. John, because I think it's important because we might have people from countries that speak different languages than the ones that we have represented it already. Um, so if that is the case, that's not necessarily a limitation. Mm -hmm. As long as you express your interest to participate, we then um, will make sure you get the translated documents in due time. Uh, to have the campaign ready and, well, in a format that your public can understand. That's very important. And, you know, uh, sometimes pharmacies uh, service a specific ethnic group. So you may mm. be in Canada, but you need uh, Greek-speaking or Greek uh, d documentation that's translated to Greek. Those resources are available. So, uh, yeah, not to be a limitation at all. Uh, visit the website, uh, reach out to the organizers, but we should be able to help you get on board. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see the results. I think down the line, we'll show that this has prevented some strokes. Uh, a great initiative. So thanks again for coming in. Enjoy the rest of the Congress. I know we got a couple of events tonight. It should be a good time. Okay. Thank you, John. This podcast was brought to you by IPAC, the International Pharmacist for Anticoagulation Task Force. Visit www.ipact.org for more information.